Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. Happy October, everyone. Well, um, I know for a lot of you guys, you're like amazed that September's over already and it's really fall. I'm amazed as well. And I know this month is also really hard for a lot of you, uh, myself included. Um, This is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So um, I want to start off the episode by first acknowledging all those who have carried a life and lost it. You are not alone. I am. I'm there with you. And this month, I don't know, every time October comes around, I'm always like, here we go again. Like the memories just start to unravel. So I I completely get get that some of you may be um, recalling those memories right now. And so if you are one of those people. I encourage you to talk about it with your family, reach out and get counseling if you need the counseling, um, but realize that this is more common than we think. And obviously we will talk about this uh, this uh, topic um, during this month, but um, but today is just, it's just not today. I don't want to start the month off with that topic. So we're going to switch gears, but I did want to acknowledge you and acknowledge um, that this may be a difficult month. So. I'm going to switch to a little bit of a lighter topic, um, and it is amniotic fluid, right? A lot of people have asked me about amniotic fluid this week, so I figured let's go ahead and do a show about amniotic fluid, what it means, and what happens if it's low. So for all of our baseline knowledge, know that normal amniotic fluid or the fluid that is inside of the uterus when you're pregnant, it's around the baby, it is measured in the second trimester via four quadrants, okay? Each pocket, meaning like the belly button is sort of the middle of the quadrant and we divide the belly into sort of four quadrants. So each pocket in the quadrant should measure on ultrasound between two and eight centimeters. Together, all four of those measurements should add up to between five and 25 centimeters for you to have normal fluid, okay? Now, before the second trimester, or really before 24 to 26 weeks, most of the time we're measuring what's called a maximum vertical pocket or a single deepest pocket and or subjectively calling the fluid normal, low, or high, meaning we look at it and say, that looks normal, right? And at any point in the pregnancy, instead of doing the total of the four quadrants, then just the maximum vertical pocket can be measured or what some 
call the single deepest pocket instead. So we just pick one quadrant and just measure the depth of that one quadrant to make sure it's between that two and eight centimeters. If it's between two and eight centimeters, then we know that your fluid overall is normal. Lower amniotic fluid can be harmful to pregnancies because let's face it, your baby actually needs the amniotic fluid for several reasons. The main reason that we need it is one, it has a protein called surfactant in the amniotic fluid. That surfactant helps the lungs develop and also stops the lungs from collapsing on each other or the little pockets uh, called alveoli, the little pockets that make up the lung. Um, that, that's where gas exchange happens. Um, surfactant helps develop that. And um, the main surfactant, because you have A, B, C, D, E, you have all these other, these types of different surfactant proteins. Surfactant protein D um, is the one that, that we, that's most studied to uh, cause maturity of the lungs. And the only reason I mention this in detail is because I know there's some medical professionals listening to this or some people that may be in school. So I figured I'd drop that little pearl reminder there that surfactant protein D is what we're looking for for lung maturity. Now, in addition to it helping with lung development, fluid just cushions the cord, right? Now, without amniotic fluid, guess what? The baby can compress the cord against the wall of the uterus or between um, its own body parts. And so amniotic fluid allows the cord to free float and not be compressed. Also, amniotic fluid helps with development of the baby's digestive system. Why? Because the baby is swallowing that fluid and that fluid gets absorbed into the baby's body and filtered by the kidneys. Um, it also goes through the, the intestines. It, it's going to be filtered by the kidney and then urine is developed, um, making urine appear inside of the bladder. And so that amniotic fluid plays a role in making sure the digestive tract and the, the urinary tract is fully developed. Amniotic fluid also helps regulate the temperature of the baby, right? So that's why people can be in Corpus Christi in 110 degree heat right now and the baby be okay. Now notice you're not supposed to submerge in a hot tub, but your baby is fine, you know, walking around in the heat. And that's because the amniotic fluid regulates the temperature of the baby and keeps the baby safe. Now that's not saying that you should be going out into 110 degree heat. Now we already had an episode on Temperatures, extreme temperatures. So we don't want to be outside in these extremes of heat, but the amniotic fluid does play a role in making sure those core temperatures around the baby stay regulated. Amniotic fluid also allows for your baby to move in the uterus. So if you don't have a lot of movement, those babies can have joint contractures. They can have stiff joints. Um, they can also have underdevelopment of the joints. So we need amniotic fluid for the baby to be able to, to freely move to help develop the joints and the muscles. Why is it that some babies end up having low amniotic fluid? Well, let me start by saying low fluid is never a normal finding unless your water has broken. That's the only time it's normal. If you're full term, you go into labor, your water's broken. We expect for there to be low amniotic fluid. And actually, the most common reason for low fluid is, in fact, undiagnosed premature rupture of membranes or your water's broken before term, and we just don't know it until you're evaluated. So if someone has low fluid, the most obvious thing to rule out is that their water has broken. Then once we rule that out, we start looking at some not so common reasons 
for low amniotic fluid. Some reasons for low amniotic fluid include structural problems with the kidneys. Remember, amniotic fluid is what the placenta makes and baby pee. So the placenta is making fluid and then the baby is swallowing it. And eventually it just becomes a cycle of mostly baby pee, okay? So if the baby isn't urinating because the kidneys aren't making urine, then we start to see that there's going to be less and less and less fluid around the baby and the amniotic fluid as a whole will be lower. And most of the time when the kidneys aren't functioning, they'll be like bright, echogenic, you know, kidneys, uh, meaning they're just like a whiter consistency and you can tell um, that they're not really functional. And sometimes that could be indicative of um, polycystic kidney disease, okay, where we have little bitty, bitty, tiny cysts. And because you have so many cysts, it looks, the kidney looks white. Sometimes you can have issues with urine getting out of the kidney, which get back fluid up into the kidney. And you can have multi-cystic kidney disease, which is when you have big cysts around the kidneys. Okay, there's a difference. Multi-cystic, big cysts around the kidneys because urine is trapped inside. Polycystic, little bitty cysts in the kidneys, which basically take over the normal tissue of the kidney, making the kidneys not functioning. So then you have brighter kidneys. Okay. If you have a problem with the bladder itself, then if the kidneys are making urine and it just can't get out because there's an obstruction of the bladder, then the bladder will look very big on ultrasound. And that fluid can actually back up into the tubes that carry urine, called the ureters, and then back into the kidneys, which also can give the appearance of having big cysts on the kidneys. But if fluid is trapped inside and can't get out, the baby can't urinate out, that is called a bladder outlet obstruction. And we will see a big bladder and no fluid around the baby, okay? Eventually, and that happens very early in development. That usually is before you even get your anatomy scan. At 16 weeks, we start to see that there's low fluid and a big bladder. And then as the weeks go on, we have a bigger and bigger bladder and less and less fluid until there's no fluid. And babies can live inside of the uterus for a while unless there's core compression. But remember, you can't live without kidneys. And so that's why this would be a very problematic if this were to happen during the pregnancy. Some people can have very poor placental functioning, meaning your placenta is just not functioning the way that it's supposed to function. It's not making any fluid um, for the baby to even swallow, or it's making low amounts of fluid for the baby to swallow. And um, like I said previously, amniotic fluid is what the placenta makes. Okay, so some of this is a placental function and also what the baby urinates out. So the placenta isn't functioning. Then usually the baby is smaller because remember the placenta is what gives the baby nutrients, oxygen, um, constantly. So if the placenta is not functioning, it's not making fluid, then it's also not giving the baby the nutrients it needs to grow. So we have a smaller baby and very little fluid around the baby. You can also just be plain dehydrated. Now, usually if you're not drinking enough fluid, initially the placenta sort of sort of rev up the function and you start to have a lot of fluid around the baby. But then all of a sudden you can, um, there can be some, some compensation happening there and eventually your fluid will start to decrease just because you're not getting enough fluid in. And so if you come in with low fluid and we've ruled out the fact that your water is broken, first thing we're going to do is try to hydrate you 
to see if that helps increase the level of fluid around the baby. Okay. All right. So now that you know a little bit more about low fluid or a big word called oligohydramnios, I don't know who made that up, but oligohydramnios or low fluid, let's go to some cases and questions. Our first case is a 27-year-old who is 22 weeks pregnant with twins. This is her first pregnancy. She was seen initially three weeks ago and was told that neither baby had any birth defects. Last week, she was told that one baby had very low fluid while the other had normal fluid. So she was scheduled to return this week for further evaluation. I am so glad that this question was asked because we we skip, we forget about reasons that multiples, people carrying multiples have low fluid. And it could have nothing to do with those things that I named previously. But when you have certain type of twins, we have to monitor you every couple weeks for what's called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. If you have dichorionic twins, meaning you have two separate placentas, meaning two separate pregnancies just at the same time, then we don't see this phenomenon. But when we have twins that share a placenta, that's called a monochorionic pair, meaning shear placenta, and they're in their own separate little thin sacs, which means they have two amnions or two separate sacs, then we can see what's called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And when we see this, that means that one baby has too little fluid and the other baby has too much fluid. That's called stage one twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. When we have the baby that has a small amount of fluid, also we can't see the bladder because it's just not urine being produced. And the other baby that has generous fluid, you usually see a bigger bladder. That would be stage two twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Usually when we get to stage two, where one baby has a little fluid and absent bladder and the other baby has a lot of fluid and a big bladder, that is usually when we send people to fetal centers to get what's called a laser ablation. That is when a little camera is inserted into the uterus and vessels in the placenta are illuminated or we're trying to zone in at those vessels to try to burn the connection between vessels that go to one baby and vessels that go to the other baby. And most of the time that is successful in working to reduce ongoing twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And it can also help to normalize that level because now we don't have one one baby taking more blood flow than the other baby. Okay, we've ended that when we burnt the connection between um, those shared connections, those shared vessels. And so usually we see that the fluid with both babies will tend to normalize once that's treated. Sometimes there can be some complications that happen. But for the most part, a laser coagulo ablation or that zapping of the the shared vessels between the uh, the two sides of the placenta, most of the time that is treatment enough to stop that from happening. Usually if you have a set of monochorionic diamniotic twins, meaning twins that share a placenta, these twins usually have the same genders. There are some exceptions to that, but usually the same genders. Then um, you're followed every couple of weeks to make sure that we don't see the development of one baby having low fluid and one baby having high fluid. Um, and twin to twin transfusion syndrome usually happens in about 
15% of the type of twins that share the same placenta. So for this person, I would do an ultrasound to look at the levels of fluid again this week since it was low last week, but normal in one baby. I would look to see how low it is. And I would also look at the blood flow through the umbilical cords of each of the babies because abnormal blood flow through a cord is actually a worse sign or advancing of that syndrome or advanced staging of twin to twin transfusion syndrome. And I would also refer this person for laser ablation if I had documented evidence of twin to twin transfusion syndrome. So this is something that causes low fluid that has nothing to do with the kidneys, that has nothing to do with the bladder, that has nothing to do with rupture of membranes, but all because of shifting of blood with one baby having the predominant amount of blood flow and the other baby not having enough blood flow, which causes this phenomenon of low fluid in one and high fluid in the other. So the case pearl for this case is twin to twin transfusion syndrome can cause low amniotic fluid of the donor twin. Treatment consists of prompt diagnosis and management with a laser coagular ablation or burning the connection between the site of sharing of vessels in the placenta. And y'all, there is a whole episode, I believe in season two, of twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Especially if you have twins. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, medical intern, what's our next case? Our second case is a 33-year-old who is 31 weeks pregnant with her second child. She has a history of vaginal bleeding on and off throughout the pregnancy. She was seen by her OBGYN's office, now noted to have very little fluid with a total amniotic fluid index of 2.1 centimeters. She has no medical problems. She was referred to you for further evaluation and treatment. Anytime I have vaginal bleeding and low amniotic fluid, I want to rule out an abruption. And I say an abruption because, first of all, An abruption is when the placenta separates from the wall of the uterus. That's all an abruption is, okay? You have a placental abruption, the placenta separating. Usually that causes a lot of pain and bleeding. So painful bleeding, placental abruption until proven otherwise, or the placenta starting to separate. But sometimes you can have, you know, a very small separation, and maybe you had a little bit of pain, and now that pain is resolved, right? But usually people have just constant trickle of bleeding. They can have daily bleeding with wiping. They can pass blood clots. But it's not enough for them to need to be urgently delivered. The baby's growing just fine. When we monitor patients, their baby's heart rate's just fine, and they don't have any symptoms. So these are people that we usually keep pregnant to try to prolong the pregnancy if we see a partial abruption, meaning a partial detachment of the placenta. With bleeding, as long as the bleeding isn't heavy and everything's stable, we keep you pregnant. But 
sometimes because remember the placenta is making amniotic fluid, okay, along with the baby swallowing it and peeing it out. Sometimes if the placenta is not functioning right, it's not making enough fluid. So then we can have low fluid just because of the chronic abruption, okay? The placenta may have worked just fine, but because it's separated, it's not getting good blood flow. So it's just not functioning. So you have consistent bleeding, and then eventually you have development of low fluid. And that's called a chronic abruption oligohydramnio sequence. And, um, and when we have this, we have to really individualize care, meaning there's nothing that tells us when we have to deliver. There's nothing that says um, you have to be in the hospital. Everything is basic, based off of how far along you are, when it was diagnosed, and if you're symptomatic or not, and if the baby's doing well. So there are some people that have low fluid, and we know that they have a partial abruption because they're bleeding or we see something in ultrasound, but they have enough fluid for them to be at home, okay? They have enough fluid for them to, um, for us to not be worried about core compression. But most people with chronic abruption oligohydramnio sequence, meaning low fluid because the placenta is separated, are treated in the hospital and monitored very closely because of the risk of core compression and the fact that you can abrupt, you know, more severely. So all of a sudden that abruption or that separation can extend the length of the, the whole placenta. And if that's the case, then it's urgent that you would need to be delivered. But looking at this, this patient really needs to be evaluated with an ultrasound to see how, how, what the extent of the abruption or the separation is. I would check a complete blood count to make sure I know how much blood we've lost and if our blood count is low and determine whether a blood transfusion is needed. And I would also place the patient on the monitor and see if the baby has any evidence of a decreasing heart rate or an abnormal um, tracing that's not what we call reactive. Usually we have a heart rate that rises by 15 beats per minute for 15 seconds and goes back down to the baseline, which is somewhere between 120 and 160, twice over the course of 20 minutes. And when we don't have that, that's not reassuring for, for safety of the baby. And so I would want to look at all of those things, the ultrasound to see the extent of the abruption, do a physical exam to see if, if the patient is in pain, monitor the baby to make sure there's no signs of distress, as well as check a complete blood count to make sure mom is stable. I would also want to check to make sure we don't have any issues with clotting. Sometimes if you chronically lost blood, the platelets or the the component of the blood that makes blood clot and um, clump together, sometimes we may have depleted platelets. And so sometimes that can put us at risk for bleeding. So I want to make sure I'm checking labs that show that it's safe and that we have not depleted our clotting factors in our platelets um, so that we're not at risk for heavy bleeding or issues with prolonged bleeding even after the delivery. So that is what I would do for this patient. But to me, vaginal bleeding and low fluid is chronic abruption oligohydramnios until proven otherwise. And that is abbreviated CAOS, C-A-O-S, CAOS, chronic abruption oligohydramnios sequence. Not to be confused with CAOS, which is C-H-A-O-S, which is dealing with a high airway obstruction sequence. 
chronic high airway obstructions. That's not the same. If you say that to a pediatrician, they will freak out because they think that the baby's going to have to have major surgery to get an airway after delivery. This is chronic abruption oligohydramnio sequence, which is just separation of the placenta causing bleeding plus low fluid. So the case pearl for this case is chaos or what stands for chronic abruption oligohydramnio sequence is a reason for both vaginal bleeding and low amniotic fluid. This pregnancy should be followed closely with delivery with any signs of the baby being in distress. All right, medical intern, do we have any more email cases? Yes, this one says, Dr. Plenty, I'm 29 weeks pregnant and my water broke two weeks ago. Since that time, I've been admitted to the hospital, but just sitting here. I'm getting really bored being here because I feel like nothing is being done. Why can't I be at home on bed rest? Why do I have to stay in the hospital? Oh my God, I feel like people ask us this every day because people think I'm bored. If you are bored in the hospital, that's actually a good sign, right? If we're doing stuff in the hospital, that's actually not a good sign, right? You want to be bored in the hospital. That means that you're stable. Are you stable enough to go home though? No. Why? Because your water's broken and you're only 29 weeks. I don't know how far you live from the hospital, but even if you are 15 minutes away, there's a couple risks for your water breaking. One, depending on how dilated you are, you could have what's called cord prolapse. That's when the umbilical cord actually prolapses or comes through the cervix. If that happens, that can cause compression of the cord. That can cut off blood flow to your baby. We would not know that unless we're frequently monitoring you. So that's one thing, one reason you have to stay inside. Number two, People that have amniotic fluid, like ruptured membranes, and they have low fluid, you have sudden decompression. That could also cause the placenta to start to separate, or what's called an acute abruption, meaning all of a sudden you start having bleeding and pain from placental separation. You can lose a lot of blood that way. That is a surgical emergency. And so because people that have pre-labor ruptured membranes have a high risk of a placental abruption, you have to stay in-house. You have to stay admitted so that we can monitor you for signs of that before it actually happens. Three, when your water breaks, you're at risk for infection. The antibiotics that we give you are for latency, okay? Usually when people's water breaks, we give them seven days of antibiotics. Those are for latency, meaning they help prolong or extend the onset of labor, okay? Increase latency, meaning we don't want you going to labor right now. We want you going to labor la- later. And those those um, antibiotics have been shown to prolong the time you stay pregnant. It does not, and I repeat, it is not used to reduce infection. So you can still have an infection that just ascends from the vagina up. And so if you start to have signs of infection, meaning your baby has a high heart rate, you have a high heart rate. You have tenderness of your belly on exam. Like when we press on your uterus, you're jumping off the bed. You have a fever. You have an elevated white count. There are signs that we look for before you get an overt infection. Usually if you get an infection inside of your uterus, in a matter of hours, you can become septic. That is why you have to sit in-house. And then, of course, if your water's broken, for a lot of people, that's the first sign of labor. 
We can no longer predict when you're going to go in labor because you've already shown a sign of labor. And at 29 weeks, if you've already started to go into labor, we can't predict when you're going to go into labor, when you're going to start contracting, when you're going to dilate more. And so you need to be in the hospital. So if you do go into labor, the NICU doctors are there and they can intervene and intubate the baby if the baby needs help breathing or give the baby oxygen if the baby doesn't need to be intubated, but is struggling a little bit. We need to be able to intervene for the child. And so I know people get bored in the hospital. People even threaten to leave against medical advice. Don't do that, okay? You're in the hospital so that we can watch you as a precaution. We're glad that you are bored. That's a good sign. Sit there as long as you can. We don't want excitement with somebody that's ruptured. We want you to be bored until 34 weeks when we deliver you because that is a safe time to deliver you. Well, we know the baby's going to do well in terms of survivability. Well, we know you're going to recover well. We want you in there until 34, now to 36 weeks. But since the pandemic, people are still been pushing 34 weeks because we don't want to have you in the hospital longer than you really have to be. But 34 to 36 weeks is when um, the American College of OBGYNs recommends delivering people that have pre-labor rupture membranes. So that is when you will be discharged a couple of days after you deliver. So please be patient. Find a hobby, sort of blog, sort of podcast for all I care. But please don't leave against medical advice. I know that you're bored. Call up your friends, start something on social media, but you're in the right place. And those are the reasons that you cannot go home on bed rest. All right, medical intern, do we have any more email questions or cases? And she is shaking her head, no. So thank you guys so much for listening to Pregnancy Pros Podcast. I hope that you've learned a little bit more about low amniotic fluid. And let me say this, I know that you guys are doing the best that you can. This is for information only. It is not to scare you into thinking something is wrong with you or your baby, but to give you information so you have questions to ask your OBGYN when you see them. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to share me with your friends, rate and please comment. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypros at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. You can also make sure to check out the website, drnicoleplenty.com for free pregnancy downloadables. And for goodness sake, catch up on the other seasons of the podcast. It's pretty good. And share it with your friends. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.